0: Welcome to meet <laughs> the... Going start to the show. That's yeah. going to be good. Yeah, that Looper. might. That, that might. Walking Welcome up. to meet...
1: All right, here, you ready? Go. Meet the Pressers. With Matt Mallory and Clint McRow. Brought to you by Public Safety and Education and the Trigger Pressers Union. And now... Your hosts.
0: Welcome to Meet the Pressers. My name is Clint Macro, and this is my esteemed co host, Matt Mallory.
1: This episode of Meet the Pressers is made possible with the generous support of thelawofselfdefense.com, Nikon, Shooter Technology Group, ASP, Saber Red, the Safer Faster Defense Responder 2.0, and Lee Armory. Thank you. We have a awesome guest on by the name of Amy Dillon. Yep, all excited. I am too. (laughs) Um, Amy is co-host of Polite Society podcast, uh, politicsandguns.com. Get that out fast. Uh, Director of training at 3 Gun Nation, owner owner and firearms instructor at Legacy Defense, freelance writer, copywriter, blogger, uh, DC Project as well. And, uh, Marine, former, uh, former, I shouldn't say former because yeah, always former. a Marine, <laughs> um, drill sergeant, staff sergeant when you were in. So, uh, tell us a little bit more. What did I miss? I mean, you do so much. You're so versed.
2: Yeah, I think, I think you got it all. Yeah. You know, that's my, that's my spiel. I, I've been, I was, uh, in the, in the Marine Corps I was active duty for 12 years. And, um, I was originally an aviation analyst Um, then I was a marksman instructor and a drill instructor at the recruit training depot. Um, that's what I did before I got out. And, uh, since then I've been working in the firearms industry. It's been about eight years now, but I started off as a, um, retail store manager and a range master for a a manufacturing company in South Carolina, Palmetto State Armory. And, uh, eventually I was their director of training and range operations. And I just oversaw the ranges, range development and, um, uh, wrote the training curriculum and was a firearms instructor lead firearms instructor over there and I worked for them for about five years and uh, since then I kind of just uh, navigated my way through the industry doing different things um, doing, you know, guest instructor spots for, for other places other other organizations um, started writing so became a freelance writer developed that and um, a brand ambassador for 511 tactical guns calm and uh, you know a, a, been big into the advocacy work for the past year, um awesome. working with the DC project for the past four years. And it's been it's been a ride, but I, I love it.
1: <laughs> now seniors, cool. Oh sorry, go ahead Clint.
0: So what do you find harder to train? Recruits in the Marine Corps or, or average everyday law abiding citizens?
2: Well I, okay I'll never forget the first my first class outside of the military and I kind of I didn't have my um I didn't I wasn't into my groove as an instructor yet. I was still very much um, military, you know, um, military type. And uh, I I, I want to say at one point, I thought recruits might be easier just because they, you know, they had to listen to me. Right? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> they didn't have a choice. And um, it was very structured. And I what I found difficult, uh, when I, you know, uh, was teaching civilians was I, I had to learn how to um, listen and connect with hmm. people instead of just know, saying what I, you know, giving orders or saying what I had to say and expecting them and knowing that they would respond a certain way. So that was a challenge for me, to be honest, my first year out. One of the top things that veterans struggle with is, is kind of readjusting to yeah. that new, it's a new normal, you know. A lot of it is, is to do with reshaping and, and kind of relearning your identity and just how to interact and have those interpersonal relationships within society.
0: When, <laughs> when did you uh, enlist in the Marine Corps?
2: Um, I went through basic training in 1998, right out of high school.
0: Wow. Okay. So, so your reasoning was it was a career choice or what um, What led you to make that decision?
2: So I come from a family of, of uh, Navy, you know, they were, um, my entire family behind me is the U.S. Navy. And um, I never really, because when my dad and when my parents had me, uh, my dad was already retired from the Navy. And so I never grew up. Uh, in that, you know, uh, military brat lifestyle. But um, I never really thought about it, um, to be honest with you. You know, it was never a, a childhood dream of mine to to enlist or go in, into the service. But um, I think that at some point uh, in high school, and I was, I was kind of a, uh, I don't know, I'm, I'll try to paint a picture, but I was your typical Southern Californian Um, teenager, rebel without a cause, like, you know, (laughs) had a really good, great family, awesome childhood, but I was just getting into the wrong crowd and getting to the wrong things in high school. Mm -hmm. And I think because of the foundation that my parents gave me, I was able to kind of identify that I was doing the wrong thing with my life. And so there came a point in my senior year in high school where I said, you know, I've really, I want to, you know, I want to be independent and uh, I want to do something that makes a difference. And um I, I'm not ready to uh to go to college. I, I don't want to have that typical normal path. And I went to uh, thought about going into the military. And of course, you know me being me being kind of rebellious, uh I said, well, I'm not gonna join the Navy just because everyone in my family is in the uh. Navy. And so <laughs> I started looking at the different services um branches branches of service, and I heard that the Marines were the best, and I was like, well, I'm the best, so, (laughs) you know, I don't, (laughs) and then I started, I started talking about it, and people kept, you know, are you sure the Marines, it's hard, you, you you know, because I'm, I'm pretty small, I'm four, four foot 11, and, um, you know, I'm short and petite, and, uh, there's a lot of people that would look at me and and not think that I was, you know, I had the potential to be a Marine and to make it through training. Mm -hmm. And it just kept nagging at me. And I just felt, I felt that, you know, as corny as it sounds, I just felt that calling. And I just felt that it was something that I wanted to challenge myself to do. And so I did it and it, you know, of course changed my life around. And it was one of the best decisions I've ever made. Hi everyone, this is Joe Breeds with Elite Firearms and Training out of Bridgeville, Pennsylvania. And you're watching Meet the Pressers with Matt Mallory and Clint Mackerel.
1: Meet the Pressers.
2: Having just gotten out of the military and being out of my comfort zone, I realized for the first time in my life that my safety and uh, everything was completely on me. Mm-hmm. And I didn't have, you know, I didn't have, uh, you know, a fellow Marine to turn to or my command that would always, you know, be there. And, and whenever we traveled, we were always, you know, with, with my unit and I felt very alone. If you know if you can mm-hmm. understand that and so yeah. um, I started learning and and you know finding this whole world of uh, Instructors that taught this defensive lifestyle and I started um, getting more involved as an instructor, which um, of course I, I met so many people and um, Through through students I was teaching probably when I first started I, I was uh, averaging about a thousand students a year mm-hmm. and and um, the more people I spoke to, I just realized how important um, the Second Amendment was to them. the, the fact that they were able to, to carry. I met, I met a lot of, uh, you know, unfortunately, I met a lot of women who were coming uh, to learn about how to train with a gun because of an incident that they were involved yep. in, or you know, being a victim of a, of a violent crime. And it made me start thinking um, more about what the Second Amendment means to, uh, you know, an, uh, an average citizen. Um, and I never really, you know, as, as weird as it is, I've never really thought about it in that term when I was in the military because I was under a different set of, you know, set of rules. I had a different mindset, and um, it really made me think about how important that Second Amendment was mm-hmm. to a citizen. And you know, on the flip side, and this is something I talked about at the rally during my speech, I was talking about what happened with my my family when they were in the Philippines. And the story of that, it's my, uh, in in the 1940s, the Philippines, when they entered World War II, it's because the Japanese came to the Philippines and they were trying to seize them. And my family was directly affected because my grandfather was fighting with the US Navy at the time as a Filipino citizen. Um, he was fighting with the U.S. Navy, but um, he got his citizenship because of that. He never came back from the war. He um, he was uh, he never came back. They never found him. And um, my dad, who was a young boy at the time, he was about seven eight years old. Um, he, they were in the house when the Japanese soldiers came in, and basically they were there to kill people and you know leave and or take over and they my grandmother escaped with my with my dad and my uncles you know all young at the time and they went basically ran to the mountains that were in the back of their village and they hid there for several months and uh, one of my uncles um, actually passed away when he was an infant because um, he died from bomb injuries so I heard this, you know, I knew this growing up and my dad really instilled so much um, patriotism and service to country um, in us growing up because he lived that. And right. so that always that's something I always carried with me. And I never, but then I saw a bigger scope of that, um, meeting all these people in my concealed carry and other training classes. And it it forced me to reevaluate, you know, what our duty is as a citizen to um, really knowing what what uh, this country stands for and standing up for that in any any small way possible even if it's just talking about it and just educating the person next to you I mean not everyone has the time money and, and ability to go out and do the advocacy work you know mm-hmm. that like we in the DC project right. do um, but there's still small ways that people can contribute and I think a lot of it now is just really lack of education and and, and uh, I really have to say that politics and politicians, um, they try to spin it and the, you know, mainstream media spins it a certain way. And mm-hmm. I think that it's our responsibility to, um, to kind of, uh, you know, share with everyone that we can why it is that we're doing what we do when it comes to, you know, uh, saying that the Second Amendment says shall not be infringed for a reason. And there's really no other country in the world that has that uh, ability to defend ourselves as a nation that we do.
0: Yeah, as you mentioned, it's a civic duty. We, as as uh, citizens, we have the duty to exercise our rights. You know, right. we got a whole bunch of rights to exercise. We're exercising one right now. You know, we're exercising <laughs> our First Amendment rights. You know, we're using our, exactly. our soapbox. But as far as the Second Amendment's concerned, I mean, there's that righteous portion of it that we use the Second Amendment to defend ourselves and, and family. But a, an armed citizenry, an, an educated armed citizenry is truly the fourth check and balance of a constitutional republic.
2: Hey, everybody. Maggie Morgan here with Women's Defense Network.
1: This is Ken Ortega with HPP Training. Tune in to Meet the Pressers with Clint Macro.
2: And Matt Mallory.
1: Meet the Pressers.
2: When I was teaching classes all the time, um, it kind of, you know, forced me to, to reevaluate, well, you know, what? What should I be doing? And I never really was that. I would talk about why it's important to defend, um, you know, our Second Amendment. I would talk about people, you know, join your state groups. And in my classes, I would always emphasize, you know, uh, different organizations and highlighting different organizations that mm-hmm. they could support. But when when my friend, um, I, I I was good friends with Diana Muller at the time, and I met her originally through Three Gun. Um, but so she, you know. Um, she called me about four, it was four years ago with this idea she had about, you know, what the DC project is now. And so she called me and I said, yes, I'm in, count me in, what What do you need? You know, awesome. it, it, and uh, that's how I started with them. But I've been with DC project from the beginning and um, it's, it's been amazing to see how we have taken it so far. And I really have to credit Di with the amount of man hours that she puts in behind the scenes that a lot of people don't, don't see, but, um, when we first talked about the DCU project, you know, she envisioned, she envisioned our group, um, being able to be witnesses for our Congress members, if they ever had questions about if a certain proposed, uh, you know, proposed bill should yeah. pass. That makes and, sense. you know, a few weeks ago, she was testifying at, at Congress, um, against the um, assault weapons ban. So it, for me, it was really emotional being in that room with her because awesome. that is what she told me she wanted, she you know the direction she wanted to go and it was it was just amazing
1: it's amazing clint, clint and yeah. i do that do that a lot locally in our states we go down and meet with the politicians and
2: oh that's you know, awesome tell, yeah. tell them yeah. things
1: and so the dc project that's kind of you know hitting it at a national level which is what we need we need we need people doing it locally like clint and i do we need people right. doing it nationally like you guys are doing with the dc project because there's politicians abound all over the state and all over the country
0: well, I think regular citizens also need to to understand that they don't need to be afraid of their elected officials. And they, right. Need right. To they work to for us. They do work for us. They, they are us. a little bit of a different animal. Talking to politicians is a little different. Uh, mm-hmm. they, they think differently. I think, unfortunately, a lot of them, their only concern is to be a re-elected
1: politician. Um, right. Limits. That's why I'm huge for term limits.
0: But that yeah. being said, there are there are many in the halls of the legislature that really want to do good whatever that means to them and many of them are very uneducated when it comes to the second amendment and the constitution so it's on us to educate ourselves and then impart that information to the legislators and help those help those legislators and encourage those that are pro-liberty and the ones that are not we need to try to educate them and then if they don't want to be educated and they don't want to see on the side of liberty, then we need to do everything we can to get them Oster. out of office. Yep. Uh, yeah, absolutely. and
2: Clint, you bring up a great um, a great point. You said it's up to us to educate our legislators, mm-hmm. and I don't know what experience you guys have, but for for us on the national level, when we get our uh, meetings, you know, within uh, at Senate, the Senate and House, um, a lot of times we meet with the staffers who are or legislative aides who are the ones that are actually writing the bills. Yes. And I mean you go we've asked them before you know, do you know, what is your experience with the with the firearm and it's surprising, it's shocking really yes. um that sometimes it's no. And yeah. Yeah. Uh, you know, if people I don't think that the general public unless you're unless you have done the work that we do, um, a lot of people don't realize that. They think that the politicians are educated when it comes to um, you know, these issues and they're yeah. they're really they're they're not. Um, they don't have that experience and they don't have, they're, they're not in it. You know, they're,
1: mm-hmm.
2: uh, it's a different, very well, different.
0: Well, we make assumptions and, and especially as, as gun people, we take for granted what we know. You know, it's like, everyone knows what a revolver is. Well, no, everyone doesn't. Right.
2: Right. We talk yes. about this. And
0: we do instructor development. Don't underestimate what you know, and don't assume that your students got it.
2: So right. We, right. We,
0: we had uh, Josh Prince on the show, and he was talking uh-huh. about how you know just because you're a lawyer doesn't mean that you know anything about self defense laws, and yep. and um, you know Bronca kind of echoed the same sentiment. You know, e- everyone has their own niche, and legislators, you know, they there's a whole lot about the Constitution and the Second Amendment specifically that many of them don't have up in their noggin.
2: Right. They've got to dissect <clears> it and analyze it just like we do, you know, it well, it's kind of the same thing being a firearms instructor. You know, you, you can't tell someone, Oh, you get your sight alignment site picture. I mean, it, a brand new student has no idea what you're talking about. So sure. we take for granted, we take for granted that we understand what that means, but I mean, you've really got to break it down and show it to them. And I think, sure. you know, it's, it's funny because as a, as a uh, marksmanship instructor, um, that was something that was taught to us and at, you know, at the schoolhouse was, uh, train, The you know, the instructor schoolhouse was, mm-hmm. um, you know, you've got to break it down into terms mm-hmm. for right. someone who doesn't, has zero experience. You've got to break it down to something that they know and then, you know, relate it. And yeah. it's the same thing with when it comes to how laws apply to us as private citizens when those bills are passed.
1: Mm-hmm. It doesn't That's help true. that we have acronyms all running through our head from our military time, does it? <laughs>
0: Oh, you guys okay. in your act yeah, or military stuff. time? time <laughs> <laughs> military <laughs> time.
2: yeah. Military <laughs> time. Yeah, military
0: yeah, yep. I, have a, I, have a, I have a problem with military time. It, you know,
2: it's crazy cause I, so I have my, my phone, I have it on the Six, um, So do 24. I. But it makes sense to me because <laughs> me I don't, too. Like, why, it, like say 1700 instead yep. of 5 because right. then I don't have to say 5am or 5pm. Right, right exactly. That.
1: Exactly. Um, I'll do that. I'll make a joke like I'll have my cell phone in a class if I'm teaching an active killer. I call them active killers because of what they're doing, not what they're using. I don't call them right. computer. So uh, you know, I got an active killer class and, I, and I'll I'll tell somebody i'll be like yeah if somebody comes up to you and they ask you for for money or they're getting closer they ask you for the time and you know what i do is i'll i'll say up oh, and i'll keep my eye on them and i'll you know get my phone ready and then i'll show it to them and it'll be like 1700 and they're like what's that I'm like, it's military time you don't want any
0: of this get away
1: from <laughs> <me."> <laughs> yeah
0: i always have to remind matt to just tell me am or pm dude i don't
1: want to it's do always
2: minus it's twelve uh you know, it's twelve minus uh Easy. minus twelve. Yeah. I'd always just do two.
1: So five, six, seven, boom, seventeen hundred. That's how oh, I always you you know, I just, just yeah. add two to it and then obviously it gets a little quirky when you get to other times, but you know, the main times you're gonna do is during the day.
2: <laughs> during the Good. during
1: the day, during the work day. I've heard too many people say my vote doesn't matter, and I'm sick of hearing that. Your vote matters. Mm-hmm. Everybody's mm-hmm. vote matters. And if it's and even if you're in a state where it does it, it, it doesn't like in New York, it doesn't really weigh as much. You still got to vote. You still got to do it. And then on top of that, it you know your vote matters even more if you go down and talk to the politicians and get in front of them and tell you tell them how you feel. You can't. Go yeah, down
0: they'll there. look you up, and if you're not a voter, they will not listen to you.
2: That's true. Some of
0: them. Some they ask of them. for what
1: district you're in. They're like, mm-hmm. what district you're in? I mean, it, that was the thing when I went down. I think I met with six or seven different different offices down there, and I I, they're like, well, we're you know we're, what are you out of? Where's who's your and not none of them, not one of them that I met with represents me. But I wanted you to do. get in front of them.
0: You need to, with full integrity, be able to look them in the eye and say, "I vote for president all the way down to dog catcher. I am a super voter, and I'm eligible yeah. for a cape." <laughs>
2: <laughs> <laughs> well, you know, and I think I think a lot of people, you know, they think that oh, well, my vote doesn't count, and and you know what what can I do? And I I just it really um you know just Clint as you were saying earlier, it's our civic duty. To, to know these things and to know who we're electing, to know what issues mm-hmm. are on the table and to get involved with your community. And, you know, you don't have to have the, like I said earlier, you know, a person doesn't have to have the time, money, and ability to, to go out and do all the things that maybe you, myself, or Matt is necessarily doing. But what you can do as a voter is is make sure you vote. You can also make sure that you're staying on, you know, staying up to date with issues, watching the news, mm-hmm. what's going on, and you can also just make your opinion heard. And it's it's something so quick, like a phone call or yep. an email sent mm-hmm. to yeah. sent to the uh, office, because. I don't know if people realize this, so let's get this out there, but anytime a private citizen makes a call or um, mm. sends an email that says, I support this or I don't support this bill, it gets recorded. It has to. Mm. So, so, I mean, um, that's a way that you can, um, you know, make your opinion known and kind of get involved without having to go somewhere or, mm. or spend any money.
0: It's my feeling that the the national organizations are not going to save us. Our true strength lies in local politics and statewide yes. politics. In I South agree. Carolina, what organization would you recommend people uh, get involved with to, if for any other reason, just to stay up to date on what's going on legislatively?
2: Well, I'm I'm actually a member of South Carolina Cary, um, South Carolina I'm also a member of Georgia Cary and Florida, and um, that's uh, because you know I think with those bordering states. Um, more, I, I forgot when this bill was passed, I think it was about five years ago, but it used to be with permits for permits wise. Um, South Carolina and Georgia did not have reciprocal permits. Mm-hmm. And uh, the two organizations working together, South Carolina Carry and Georgia Carry, we, we, you know, that was something that we always took to our local politicians and explained why that was important and how it, you know, it, the way the bill was worded and the way the the way the reciprocity wasn't set up, it just, the reasoning behind it didn't make sense. And it had to do with the fact that South Carolina requires training for a permit where Georgia did not. And it just seemed that, you know, the reason South Carolina didn't reciprocate with Georgia and the reason Georgia didn't reciprocate with, with South Carolina is because it was just a, a dis, um, it was a uh, not disagreement with the two states on who was right and you know but that was affecting us the permit holders yeah. and so like set aside the differences and let's let's you know we, we need to reciprocate each other's permits and we worked on that for a few years um with South Carolina and Georgia carry and i mean we did we did get it uh, i don't know if we did but it did pass um this the two states now recognize each other's permits and that that happened awesome. about i want to say 4 or 5 years ago but absolutely i think at the local level and the state level is where we, we need the biggest um, supporters and the biggest push for for advocacy. Yeah. The easiest way for people to reach out to me to learn more about um, classes I'm teaching and a schedule is just connect with me on Facebook. Um, it's Adam Mae Dillon or Amy Dillon as well uh, on there.
1: Well, it's been awesome having you on the show. Look forward to seeing you at SHOT Show and hopefully maybe in between at other, uh, other events.
2: Yeah, thanks for having me, guys. I appreciate it. It's been really fun and awesome.
1: <laughs> yeah,
0: thanks for coming on. And thank you for your service.
2: Thank you.
1: Stay safe. We have a lot of
0: sponsors that made this show possible. Make sure you check them out and give them your business.
1: This episode of Meet the Pressers is made possible with the generous support of of TheLawOfSelfDefense.com, Nikon, Shooter Technology Group, ASP, Saber Red, The Safer Faster Defense Responder 2.0, and Lee Armory. Thank you.
0: Hokey smokes, Matt. What do you got there?
1: A big fine revolver. VFR. <laughs> car arms 4570. 10 and a half inch barrel. Just shot it yesterday at 108 yards at a steel target. in my backyard. That's like a
0: handheld rifle.
1: It is, it is. 4570 rifle round. It's a it's a beauty. And and of course, it's donned with my Nikon Scope, who is a sponsor of the show and Car Arms being a personal sponsor of myself, my company, PS&Ed. That,
0: that looks like a lot of fun to shoot once or twice.
1: My Actually, it's funny because when I shot it, and, and, and everybody probably seen it, if they didn't, then they can watch the episode on...
0: Aaron, Aaron
1: Childress. Aaron that episode. Mm-hmm. At the very yep. end of it, you've seen a, a video of me shooting it. it. It really didn't bother me that much, but yesterday i woke up this morning and my wrist was hurting i'm like why is my wrist clicking and hurting (laughs) and then i realized oh because i shot this yesterday 108 yards at a steel target in my backyard
0: how's the scope working out for you i
1: mean that's a big hole it's working out great scope looks even
0: bigger when it's pointed at you yeah i
1: know right so the scope the scope is awesome it's a it's a beautiful beautiful gun beautiful beautiful scope on this thing I have
0: to say, I'm so far, I'm very, very uh, impressed with Nikon's optics.
1: Yeah. Yep. Definitely. The spur that they, they ended up sending. So this is a nice little reticle here. Nice little
2: mm-hmm.
1: red dot. And that's going to be going on this bad boy, my Glock 34. When I get the chance, it's going to go right there. So Nikon has been a sponsor of PSN Ed for quite a few years. And, uh, I ended up measuring out the, uh, Distance with my laser force. Nice binoculars here, nice, nice range finding binoculars. So that's what I ended up measuring out the distance with. And then obviously I have that I've had here in the background for a while, my nice little field scope. Beep, beep, beep. Mm-hmm. This thing. well here. Beautiful. Yeah. Look at that. That's,
0: yeah, that's the uh, X1000, right? Is that the X1000, X-1000 the black one? Yeah. The FX1000.
1: FX1000. Um,
0: this is on my Voodoo Gunworks. Uh, V-22, I finally have glass on this rifle that is worthy of the rifle. Put it all on, got it all set up. Uh, I'm actually very impressed with Nikon's uh, rings. Mm -hmm. You know, a lot of times rings are kind of like overlooked. They're like the red-headed bastard stepchild of scope mounting devices, but uh, they're really high quality, they're lightweight, and they're made in the U.S., which was an added bonus. I kind of expected the rings to be, you know, import, but they're made in the U.S. Yeah. And a really nice set of rings, nice glass. I haven't zeroed it yet. I'm gonna be doing a video on that when I zero it out. And and with this rifle, that glass and, and the ammo I'm using, I should be able to hit six inch pingers out to three hundred pretty consistently. Yeah, but you know what? you know what sucks? Come turkey season when I'm on the other side of this hillside trying to uh, harvest one of these animals, they'll <laughs> be nowhere be about in that. sight.
2: They'll be laughing at you. <laughs>
0: So the Allegheny County Sportsman's League, we just published a, a brochure on chronic wasting disease. And it's pretty important that people are aware of chronic wasting disease and what they can do as sportsmen to help kind of uh, manage it. Sportsmen's hunters, we are the first line of defense against CWD. So in the brochure, it talks about what can be done with the, uh, the high risk parts. You know, the brain, the, the uh, spinal cord, the lympho, we would need to keep that stuff in the area where we know that CWD exists to help kind of stem it from spreading. Uh, ultimately, it will spread. It's, it's going to spread. I mean, if you look at what's happened in other states, it's just inevitable. So one of the things that we're doing at Allegheny County Sportsman's League is we're also looking for a cure. And uh, we've funded uh, some research through the uh, North American CWD Project which uh, you can look at their website to see what's going on with that. And uh, we're, we're financing that, we're, we're one of the donors. We, we've pledged a great deal of money over the next three years to help with that. One of the first goals with the North American CWD project is to give sportsmen a kit that they can test the deer in the woods. Nice. So you wouldn't need to send it away for months. Right now, if you take the head and put it into a collection bin, if you harvest that deer in a CWD area in Pennsylvania, the Game Commission will pay for the test to see if it has CWD, but it takes a fair bit of time. Right. You know, Anywhere up to four weeks. So uh, what we're trying to do is develop these, these test kits that can be done in the field, and we're gonna be beta testing them here in Pennsylvania as soon as we have them ready. The Canadians and Germans did a study where they were feeding infected meat to um, uh, macaque monkeys, I believe. <laughs> Uh, was I know the, that. the primate and the primates did contract the disease or a strain of it from eating the the meat now uh, to, wow. to be honest i don't know how much meat that was you know i don't know if they were like force feeding them nothing but uh, contaminated right. meat for a long period of time but the bottom line is ultimately they were contracting the disease. So this is another reason why CWD needs to be
1: really paid close attention to. Yeah, I didn't know that. That's in, that's interesting. We, uh, we've we had the issues of it here in New York, like you alluded to, um, but it was never really a, as much of a concern and we have gotten under control some, but it's, you know, it's huge. I mean, a lot, a lot of people make the joke, it's uh, zombie deers, right? Yeah. I no. Mean, I mean, yeah, if,
0: if you look at mad cow, Krusfeldt-Jacobs uh, disease in, in humans, and, and actually the research that North American CWD Project is doing, uh, they claim that through their research, the bacterium that causes CWD is the same bacterium that causes Krusfeldt-Jacobs disease in mad cow. So uh, it's, it's all related so uh, anyhow it's a it's a huge huge problem and here in Pennsylvania it's getting bigger and bigger every year
1: so how long has it been around because it it makes me think like cancer and AIDS and and different things like that different diseases that somehow some way they came from something something caused them they they didn't have AIDS They didn't have cancer that we know of back in like you Jesus's time right so what kind of history or research have they done to find where it's evolved from where it's came from or what started well, I've, it? I've
0: heard many different things and, and it seems to be the major consensus of the sciencey people I, i'm not a scientist and i don't claim to be one but it seems to be that perhaps the disease has been around for a long time but it, it wasn't till the 80s to where they really kind of figured out what it was uh, there are a lot of other diseases that have similar symptoms where very quite possibly they could have been misdiagnosed as other things, mm, but it started, I believe, or they first started recognizing the outbreak in, in Colorado uh, 20, 30 years ago, and it's kind of made its way east, and a lot, the, a lot of the transfer of the disease came through uh, deer farms. Oh, and it wasn't in the wild population. And then as the the deer farms, deer would escape, it would cross-pollinate, you know, wild deer would get into the farms, that kind of thing. And the the way it's transmitted is through the saliva, but it can live in the soil. And so uh, it can live into the soil for a decade, as, you know, as far as I understand from talking, uh, even the Pennsylvania Game Commission scientists say that it could be in the soil and now in plants for up to a decade. So. You know, a, a lot of states have done like targeted removals where they've lessened the deer herd. Uh, that's been one way to manage it, but it doesn't get rid of the disease no, because if, if you wipe out all the deer and then reintroduce them 10 years from now, yep. according to the game commission's uh, data, they could recontract the disease. So wow. really what needs to be done is we need to focus our attention on on managing it the best way that we can, but also let's look for a cure. Yeah. And that's what we're trying to do as we back the North American CWD project. And John Evelyn is the Pennsylvania director of the North American CWD project, and we're going to have him on the show here eventually. Allegheny County Sportsman's League published this brochure, and uh, you can pick those up through any one of our member clubs. And I've been pretty much anytime I drive past a gun shop or a sportsman's shop, I stop in and, and drop off a, Smart. a stack of them. So keep an eye out for that. Uh, we'll also have some information on our Allegheny County Sportsman's League Facebook page as well.
1: Thanks for watching the show. Make sure you like, subscribe, share, and click that little bell to make sure you know when our next episode's uploaded. Until next time, adieu. Thank you for watching Meet the Pressers.